has to say to us. Some of what I say may push some of your buttons, some of it may be confusing or beyond what you think you're interested in. If that's the case, you can forgive me, please. But I hope some of what I will say will challenge us that God created the heavens and the earth. Let me pray. Father, help us to um, get to know you better through what I share on this one verse in Genesis chapter 1, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder if you've met Emily, the Barrow girl. I've got lots to tell you, so come and find me. Discover your story at Ancestry. I don't know if you've been on Ancestry. The idea is you go onto this website, you pay money, and you find out where you, at least family-wise, have a part of it have come from. What was your starting point? Understand that. And just a bit echo. I don't know if we can wind me down or reduce the echo a bit. I'm very fussy when it comes to echo. <laughs> what was the starting point? If you understand that, I might understand better where I am now. Because it's kind of like plotting a trajectory for your life. Where I've come from, where I am now, therefore where might I be going? Is my life going somewhere? Or is my life just spinning around in circles, I'm repeating the same old patterns, or am I more like a rock and nothing's ever gone anywhere? Stuck in the same old place. Origins matter. Not just out of curiosity, but for our likely future. Henry Blocher, a Henry, uh, French theologian, says this. He writes, Frequently indeed the beginning unlocks the principle. The constitution reveals the nature. The human race quite rightly feels that it cannot find its bearings for life today without having light shed on its origins. Where did we come from? And it is true today that enormous research dollars in almost every sphere of science are being spent on trying to come to a better understanding of our origins. In astronomy, in spatial exploration, in cosmology, in particle and theoretical physics, the whole CERN reactor in Switzerland, massive billion-dollar project. In biology, in genetics, in archaeology, in geology, in psychology, there are whole research departments given over to trying to understand origins. Where have we come from? So that we can find our bearings. Today I'm starting a series of four talks from Genesis chapter 1. It's a simple title, Creation. It's actually a repeat of a series I did right at the start of 2012 on Sunday nights. And I'm repeating it because I think it's important. It sort of struck me. I think, and I think this issue of Genesis and the beginnings is important for us as Christians. That we know the Bible's answers for the grounds for our being and the start of the trajectory. We're only looking at the one verse this morning, the first verse of the Bible, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now, of course, many people reject that account, that, that, that verse, particularly those committed to philosophical materialism, 
who believe that the only real things are material, physical things. Take, for example, the opening sentence of Carl Sagan's bestseller, Cosmos. He writes, The cosmos is all there is, or has been, or will be. You may not realise it, but that is Sagan trying to be very scientific, very um, objective, is actually making what we would call a metaphysical statement there, a statement beyond the physical, that I am telling you that this cosmos is all there is, well, how do you know? And it's all there ever has been. That's a metaphysical statement. It's a statement that the laws of physics are God. Where those laws come from is another matter. It's a statement that matter or, or sense data is God. That's all there is. Or is actually there, might there be something else? Time for a brief science history lesson. Before 1900, physics students were taught that matter could neither be created nor destroyed. So it was thought by those who rejected the idea of a creator, it was thought that matter had always existed. It had no beginning and it would have no end, world without end. It was the substance of the universe, it was a given. Now let me tell you that virtually nobody believes that anymore. You see, there was this guy called Albert Einstein. And let, let me simplify matters. In 1915, he sat down with a pen and paper and he thought really, really hard and he played with some equations and some concepts and some theories and he came up with what we call the general relativity theory. These very, very neat equations, which started off incredibly complex with complex ideas, and I don't pretend to understand it all, boiled down to this one simple formula, E equals mc squared. Energy equals mass by the speed of light squared. Very simple and empirically proven to be true. Very, very solid statement. Einstein's problem was that his dismay at the time was that these very niche neat equations were incompatible with a static universe. They suggested the universe had to be either expanding or shrinking. It couldn't be static. It couldn't just be. So Einstein actually put a fudge factor in there to balance everything out, to hold the universe neatly together. Einstein would later refer to this as his biggest blunder. Other scientists followed up Einstein's work, acting independently, Alexander Friedman, a Russian scientist with the glasses, and then Georges Lemaitre, a Belgian Catholic priest who was also a science physicist. They found solutions to Einstein's equations that implied a beginning that could be represented mathematically. They called this condition a singularity, but they weren't taken much notice of. In fact, Einstein rejected their work. He said of Lemaitre, your maths is correct, but your physics is abominable. That was until 1929. American astronomer Edward Hubble was analysing the spectral lines of stars. In other words, he was looking at stars and they're sort of colour patterns that came out from the stars. And he found this amazing thing. 
You notice they all displayed a red shift, a, a, a bias to the red end. And that suggested that those stars that were, that all the stars were moving away from us, but even more, the stars in the galaxies that appeared to be further away from the Earth had more red shifts, suggesting that they were moving away faster. And it was all perfectly linear. So doing the mass and plotting it all out, this indicated that every galaxy was moving from a single point in space and that there must have been a place where it all started. It seemed to be incontrovertible proof of an expanding universe. Space was getting bigger. Come forward to 1963 and two fellows, Arno Penzias and Robert Wilson, found microwaves beaming through space in all directions, exactly as was predicted by the theory of initial massive, what we might call Big Bang, start to the universe. You see, by this time, it's taking a while, the scientific community is increasingly starting to consider that there was actually a beginning that our universe was not in a steady static state, that it began and it's on a trajectory. Today, almost nobody says the universe has always been. Almost everybody agrees there was a beginning. Whether you're a Christian, a Muslim, an atheist, an agnostic, a scientist... They all say there was a beginning. They may disagree about how this beginning came about and what it looked like and when it happened, but everybody says there was a beginning. Now, all the the details can, can, can get very complex, but here is a simple diagram, if you like, a narrative of the beginnings of the universe. In the beginning, something happened, and so we have the heavens and the earth. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. There are three components to that narrative. And what I'd like to do is look at each one of those components in turn. We're going to spend more in the middle section. Something happened. We'll start with in the beginning because that seems like a very good place to start. When we use that phrase in our little narrative, we're talking about the beginning of time itself. We're talking about before the beginning. It's as though there was no before. There was no matter, there was no energy, there was no space, there was no time. Nothing as we comprehend these things in our world. And then time as we know it began in the beginning. The big question is, was there any other thing or things before that beginning? If there was, this thing or thing Things must exist on a plane completely other to the sphere of reality that we're used to, than we experience in our world. In other words, they had to be, in a sense, metaphysical, beyond the realities that we can measure and see and touch. How we understand that question leads us to the next stage of our simple narrative of beginnings, that is the something stage. Something happened. And as I see it, there are three basic options for this stage of our story. The first option was found in many ancient cultures 
as they attempted rightly to understand their beginnings. We might call them creation myths, and it goes something like this. In the beginning, well, let's just say it's a long story, the heavens and the earth. It might involve gods marrying and creating children who break away. It might involve gods fighting for power and forming the heavens and the earth or diving deep into the depths of the sea, bringing up a mound of dirt from which come the earth, the moon and the stars. One Indian creation myth describes water as being the womb for a small seed planted by Brahma, the Divine One. The seed cracked, grew into an egg which the Divine One resided in for a year. He cracked it open and emerged as Brahma, And from the egg's remains, he produced heaven and earth. Heaven was one half while earth was the other half. And it's complicated and it's usually a long story. And we have the heavens and the earth. Consider the Babylonian creation myth. Two oceans. There's a freshwater ocean, Apsu, male. Saltwater ocean, Tiamat, female. They, They get together and they have offspring. But the offspring start rebelling and fighting and making all sorts of noise absolute sick and tired of all the noise and the frustration and he decides to destroy them so a war ensues but it doesn't go Apsu's way in fact Apsu gets killed but these offspring produce other offspring and from them comes the stone god Marduk Tiamat saltwater female god she's furious and so Tiamat and Marduk do battle and Oh, these parents, it's hard to be a parent. Tiamat slain. She's a dragon. She gets split in two. The top half becomes the water above the sky. The bottom half becomes the waters below the sky, the ocean and the earth. Story's not over. We have a level of order because we have heavens and earth. But there's another battle. Kingu, who was the commander of Tiamat's armies, does battle with the earth. And the blood mixed from that battle comes together and forms people who are subject to the gods and caught up in the chaos on earth. It's a long story. Consider the trajectory, the pattern that results. It begins with drama and chaos amongst forces that are above and beyond our control. They go about their business and so as so often We're just the accidental byproduct of their drama. So where are we now? Well, these great forces are still going about their business. There's still drama and chaos, and we can't control them, and the best we can do is try and appease them for a moment. It all began going around in circles, and it's still going around in circles, and conflict and drama, and we in this universe are just flotsam in the wind, doing our best to get by till the gods have had enough with us. We're, we're like, it's like a cat playing with a mouse. We're with the mouse. Bit of mercy, bit of mercy, till I decide to kill you. Who knows how long that's going to be? You roll on your back, a bit of mercy, please. Ah, oh, no. It's a long story. Option two is the one favoured by philosophical materialists and committed atheists. 
This is basically the option that Richard Dawkins and the Christopher Hitchens of our world would have us believe. This is the it just happened option. In terms of our narrative, it goes like this. In the beginning, well, it just happened, the heavens and the earth. You ask, what happened? Well, it did. What? Well, we don't know yet. But it sure wasn't God. There was a singularity. That mathematical possibility in those equations. There was a moment when out of nothing, as we understand it, one or more physical quantities like temperature or density became infinite in value. Or, or as another theory, there was a quantum vacuum and it just happened. Because it had to happen. Because that's where the laws, that, that were the laws, that's the rules of the cosmos. Now, if that sounds unusual and difficult, it is because it is. And many atheistic scientists resisted the idea. Albert Einstein, until he was convinced by Hubble's data, resisted the idea, hence his fudge factor. Astrophysicist Fred Hoyle for many years defended a steady state universe, that is, steady creation, constant creation out of nothing to avoid this trajectory universe. So the average density of the universe remained a constant despite it expanding. He didn't know how. But that's how the universe functions because that means we don't have to explain a beginning. Well, was allergic to the reaction, the idea of a beginning, because it might just open the door to the possibility of a God who created. Hoyle's theory has since been discounted. Stephen Hawkins, although accepting a beginning, still struggles with allowing for the possibility of a God and denies it, as do many, many other scientists, but not all by a long stretch. So what do you do with this beginning when your answer is it just happened? To make it work, you need a massive, and we're talking absolutely massive, universe-sized amount input of energy that comes from nowhere. And this, this really, even then, this leads to the other great stumbling block of the it-just-happened theory, which is what we call the second law of thermodynamics and the concept of entropy. The second law says, in simple terms, everything is falling apart. We've been, we were tidied up our front yard over the last couple of weekends. Last Saturday, we spent a lot of time. I carted mulch from a neighbour's up. Anna sat weeding and cutting back. and it, We spent the whole morning trying to put mulch down and tidy up and weed the front yard. We did the same thing about two or three years ago. We didn't do a good, as good a job this time either. We did a really good job about three years ago. Because the front yard get, keeps getting disordered. And so to fix it up, we have to put energy in to retain order. This is the case for your car. This is the case for your bodies. It's the second law of thermodynamics at work. Our universe is winding down like a rubber band that's been wound up. It's winding down. If you want to restore Order, you need to put in energy. 
Now, where did the energy to start our universe come from? According to physicist Brian Green, it came from a statistical fluctuation in primordial chaos. A nugget of chaos, whatever that is, that weighed 9 kilograms and has a diameter of 10 to the minus 26 centimetres, like my fingers just won't go small enough. I think what he's saying is it just happened. The preferred theory today for many scientists is what we call string theory and the concept of multiverse. Multiverses. In other words, we don't have a universe, one. We have many universes. String theory and this concept is a purely theoretical framework. As people have worked on this as equations and concepts and ideas, it's become increasingly complex as, as they've investigated, and it ends up being supposition built on supposition, assumption built on assumption about the very nature of subatomic particles and this possibility of subatomic vibrating strings with lots of maths and what we're now dealing with, 11 dimensions. You live in four, up, down, back, side, and time. It requires 11 dimensions, and these dimensions all fold over one another, and the evidential basis for string theory, you can look it up online, zero. The predictive basis for string theory and the multiverse, so you have the theory, you should be able to work, like you can do that with Einstein's general theory of relativity, make predictions and say, oh, look, that has happened, just as the theory predicted. The predictive nature of string, string theory, zero. And they've been at it for 30 years and there are whole research departments given over to it. A whole lot of the CERN reactor is trying to find some data for backing some sort of string theory or to throw it out the window. And they're battling hard and they're not getting very far with their billions of dollars. It's basically incredibly clever and complicated mathematics on pieces of paper supported by this massive industry, critiqued by many other physicists who don't happen to believe in creation. And that's the biggest goer. Nobel Prize winner David Gross says, I think the real reason why people have got attracted to string theory is because there's no other game in town. All other approaches of constructing a grand unified theory, which were more conservative to begin with because string theory is incredibly complex and messy, all other theories gradually became more and only became more and more radical, have failed, and this game hasn't failed. In other words, string theory hasn't yet failed. We can't prove anything. We can't test it. Well, that's pretty good for not failing, isn't it? And that's the best we've got because everything else has failed. The best game in town. Where did we come from? We came from nothing. Where are we now? Well, we're on a trajectory. But we're nowhere in particular. We're on a trajectory of decreasing entropy. We're like a rubber band, increasing entropy. We're like a rubber band powered model aeroplane. We're like a firecracker on New Year's Day. And we're in glorious flight. But it won't last. Where are we going? Nowhere. 
And the explanation is it just happened and it just happens to be that way. The explanation is because string theory postulates multiverses. You'll hear people talking about this. There are millions, infinite number of universes out there. We're just one. And because there's an infinite number of universes, one of you has to be the lucky one. It supports life and has, as Ron was mentioning, the, the, the gravity and the cosmological constant so finely, finely tuned that the universe even stays as matter. And the, the, our universe, is, our world is so incredibly finely tuned. Every scientist agrees on that now. Change one little thing in so many ways. This whole universe, this whole world, this whole solar system falls apart. Every scientist agrees on that. And the reason that that is, according to those scientists, is we're just the lucky ones. All those other zillions of universes didn't make it, but there has to be one, one person has to win the lottery. The evidence for multiple universes, zero. But that's the best we've got. It just happens and we're the lucky ones, so you accept it. Is it the only game in town? I think there's a third option. It's the Bible's option. The first verse in the Bible, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word used for create is the Hebrew word barah, which doesn't mean to make or to form or to construct. It's only ever used in reference to God. It is to create out of nothing. That is God, the supreme being who is above and beyond our created order and above and beyond our equations, outside of time and space, created out of nothing what theologians like to refer to as ex nihilo, the heavens and the earth. God created all time, all space, all matter, all energy. He not only created them, he created all the laws which govern space, energy and matter. He created not only that, he created every spiritual force as we were reading about in Colossians 1 this morning. Powers and realms that we do not see and that are not subject to our physical laws, but which are very real. God created. In the beginning... Before there was so much of a material atom in the cosmos, God was and God brought it all to be by his powerful word. And Christians may well disagree about when this first came about, whether it was 15 billion years ago or some other time. But they must not disagree about how it came about. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And what a massive difference that makes. Been talking about the trajectory. Think about the trajectory we're on with God. Where did we come from? We came from the mind, power and purposes of a personal creator, God. Where are we now? We're caught up in God's sovereign purposes. Our world and our lives have meaning. God is working something in and through us for his glory. And for his glory means, because of the very nature of the God of the Bible, it means for our blessing, for our good. And where are we going? Well, God has a plan. Because God is the creator God, 
because he created the laws which govern our words, we do not need to be subject to the second law of thermodynamics because he's the Lord of that. God is in the process of redeeming our fallen world. He has promised to bring about a new creation, a new heavens and a new earth, the home of righteousness, and it's promised for all those who will turn to him and accept the forgiveness, the new start that he offers in the Lord Jesus, the pieces we were looking at that he offers in the Lord Jesus, the one who will rule with justice and righteousness over this new creation, the Lord Jesus. I want now briefly, there's a lot in this talk, but I want now briefly to consider the last part of our narrative of beginnings. That is the phrase, the heavens and the earth. Our universe is massive. Our galaxy, the Milky Way, is 100,000 light years across, about 1,000 trillion kilometres. Forget about the numbers, just say big, big, beyond my bigness. It's an average-sized spiral galaxy containing some one. 100,000 million stars of which our sun is one. And and I've got to say, the location of the earth within this whole universe is, is, this is a whole other topic, is remarkably good for the life that we enjoy. Another evidence of fine-tuning. Even with all those zillions, where we are in this galaxy, in this solar system, is the greatest miracle The Milky Way, I've done that. The average distance from one galaxy to another is over the order of three million light years. Now it takes three thousandths of a second for your phone call to reach Melbourne. Three million light, too much. It's all just too much. The most distant galaxy from us is estimated to be three million light years away. Like It's just too big. But all of this, which is staggeringly incomprehensible to us, is not incomprehensible to God because he made every galaxy, he made every black hole, every star, every planet, every speck of dust, every atom, every subatomic particle, every kilojoule of energy, he began time as we know it. He is Lord over time. So look at the options. In the beginning, well, it's a long story, and, and this, in all of its vast majesty and glory, in the beginning, well, it just happened. And you get the Crab Nebula, Crab Nebula, and Saturn, and Beethoven's Ninth, and the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, and Miranda Kerr, and Jonathan Lamb, <laughs> and music, and joy, and creativity, and beauty, and comfort, and love, and passion, and wonder and self-consciousness, self-reflection, relationship. And it just happened. Theorize all you like. And you cannot explain my love for my wife. Theorize all you want with your paper and pen. And you cannot explain my consideration of my folly and my strengths and how I can even think about these and try and wrestle with those equations. Like you're barking up a very limited tree, aren't you? And you don't look at life as it's lived 
and as we experience it, you're only concerned about trying to find a loophole to get rid of God because there cannot be the option in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. How does it all just happen? Well, might it be God created the heavens and so we do get the Milky Way, we do get the Blue Mountains, we do get you and we do get me in all of our wonder and glory. And in consequence, because God made the heavens and the earth in all their splendor, then the heavens and the earth and all that is in them are under his control and he is sovereign Lord. He therefore has the right to rule and establish law as the fitting and proper way to live and relate to his creation. He sets in place the laws of physics. He sets the way in place the laws of living and relationship. How foolish to have any gods beside him. How foolish to build idols of stone or silver or cubed roots. And I don't know, I'm trying to think of something. I didn't write anything, something clever to say about mathematics. Failed. Carl Sagan said, The cosmos is all there is or has been or ever will be, but I beg to differ. God, I would argue, the God of the Bible, fully revealed in his son Jesus Christ, is the supreme I am. God is the supreme I am, and he has created the universe we experience external to himself and for the purpose of revealing the glory of his name. We're a unique part of that universe. We're God's image bearers. We were created for a relationship with our maker. We were created to display the excellencies of the Son of God in his love and mercy. We were created to inhabit the new heavens and the new earth, the home of righteousness. Now, where have you come from? And Where are you now and where are you going? If you reject God, the creator, the Lord, if you reject his offer of salvation given in his son Jesus, if you reject his purposes, he will let you go. He will hand you over to your choices. He will hand you over to hell and hopelessness and the meaninglessness of a world without him. And your trajectory will crash to earth and end in emptiness. I'm not saying anything particularly stunning there. It's just what is. Accept the creator and he will work his glorious purpose through you. And give your life meaning and purpose and a future. Because every day we received is a gift from God's creation, from his sovereign will. Every packet of time and space and energy and matter is his gift to us. It's another opportunity to use these things for his glory and his purposes as we find his joy. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Amen.